Hello, everyone. Welcome back to I See What You're Saying, the Disciplined Listening Podcast. I'm Michael Reddington, and today it gives me great pleasure to introduce our next guest, Raymond Watts. Raymond is the global chairman of the Young Presidents Organization. YPO is a global leadership community consisting of over 34,000 chief executive members from over 140 countries. And all of those members are dedicated not to just becoming lifelong learners, but to building better businesses, better families, better communities, and becoming better human beings. And nobody who I've met in the organization represents those values and those aspirations better than Raymond, as you will see in this conversation today through his openness, his vulnerability, his examples, illustration, story, so many ideas that we can apply to our lives as we look to develop ourselves, as well as our peers, our families, our employees, and beyond. Thank you so much for being here today. I promise you're going to get a ton from this conversation with Raymond. And before we go any further, I do want to quick take a quick minute to thank our sponsors. First, we have Humantel. Please head over to humantel.com and dive into their research, dive into the writing, and then determine which online training program might be better for you. If you have ever been interested in developing the ability to understand what people are likely thinking or feeling based on identifying their shifting emotions through their facial expressions and body language, I highly recommend checking out humantel.com. You can enter the code inquasive 25 for 25% off all of their online training. I've done it myself. I vouch for it. I highly recommend it. Once we can get a better idea of what people are feeling and how those emotions are changing, we can do a much better job connecting with them, demonstrating empathy, and developing rapport. Humantel.com, check them out. We also have the International Association of Interviewers. Please head over to certifiedinterviewer.com where you can learn about their educational opportunities, both online and in person all of the networking opportunities, member benefits. You can even dive into the certified forensic interviewer designation, explore what it takes to qualify, what it takes to pass, and then what it takes to maintain the designation. Certifiedinterviewer.com is where to go to get all of the information you need on the benefits and education from the International Association of Interviewers and that certified forensic interviewer designation. And please head over to Inquasive. Inquasive.com is where you will find all the information for the customized programs that we facilitate for organizations when they ask us to teach their leadership teams, their sales teams, even their HR teams, how to maximize their observation skills and improve their persuasive inquiry skills so they can encourage people to share sensitive information under vulnerable circumstances in the face of consequences. All the information you need about those programs is over at Inquasive.com. Again, thank you all for being being here today. I truly appreciate it. Without any further ado, I introduce to you, Raymond Watt. Good morning, Raymond. It is so great to see you again. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us today. How are you, sir? My friend, it's good to be here. Um, it's early morning here on the West Coast, but uh, what an honor to be on this, on this call with you. I've known you for a long time. So who knew? We'll come full circle and we'll meet this way again. Who knew is a great way to say it. And I'll find ways to to leak in as we go. Some of the things you've shared with me and the impact you've had with me over the years. But we have. We've known each other for a long time. And to be back here where I now get to ask you a few questions is a I'm ready for it. Let's pretty exciting flip of the script. 
to be interviewed by the top interviewer is quite daunting. So uh, just don't break me, brother. Just don't break me. We, we won't. We won't. I promise. I promise. And, and in the uh, interest of not even breaking you, really what I would love to do is promote. I'd love to promote you, your organization, your idea, philosophy, approach. Um, there were so many times I'd be sitting in a conference room with you and not just taking notes on what you said, but taking notes on how you said it. So really, those are the types of things I'd love to try to share today. So please correct me if I get this wrong. You're currently the global chairman of YPO. That's what I am. It's a 12-month wonderful opportunity to serve the organization. I'm the 73rd, I believe, chairman of this organization, which is just another volunteer position, another champion position. We have about 12,000 champion positions in this organization out of the 35,000 members. So I'm one of those 12,000 members, and we serve as best because we love this organization. So for the people that aren't necessarily aware of what YPO is, can you give us, I guess I'll ask a double question, which from an interviewing standpoint probably isn't that great, but let's get off and running. Can you help us understand what YPO is for the people that aren't familiar? And then if you could share with us maybe one surprising or memorable leadership lesson that you've learned from the global CEO network that you're currently leading. Okay. Well, you've sort of given the answer in the question. Uh, YPO is, you know, at its core level, a global CEO organization. Uh, there's a little bit of criteria to join. We've got 35,000 members across more than 140 countries. Um, and it's for CEOs to get together. Our mission statement is very clear. We believe in lifelong learning. But there's, really, there's something really important about YPO. We do say that we want to become better humans. So our mission statement is better leaders through our learning and IT exchange, lifelong learning, and that's what YPO is. So we get together across all of these countries. We get together uh, monthly. We get together in smaller groups, which we call forums, with the sole objective of exploring our businesses, exploring ourselves, our families, our communities, and seeing how we can learn from each other. Uh, because all of us are going through through uh, you know transformations at different stages, and how we apply that learning to back to our businesses, being a dad, being a partner, being a community member. So at its essence, it's a really simple organization, but uh, you know the, the impact is profound. So that second part to your question is, what have I learned? You know, it's almost like in all of my learnings, what didn't I learn from YPO? Because YPO is not an institution like an educational you know, uh, institution or, or college or university. It's a collection of people. So every single time that you bump into someone and you share something, you learn. And I think that was my biggest surprise of just the capacity of being in your 40s and still being able to really transform your life. Um, I think before YPO, I truly believed uh, humans are set in their way. You know, you are who you are. And sort of changes a philosophical idea, not a visceral, real one. And I think my lesson in YPO, and I think the reason why I adore this organization, truly love it, is that it allows me to grow and change. And I can see it and my family can see it and the people around me and my business and business can see it. And, and, um, and I'm deeply thankful to be part of this organization for that reason. So, yeah, a simple organization with a simple premise, but uh, I believe quite impactful. And even looking from the outside in, having worked with various groups around the world, I can speak to the impact from an outside perspective as well. And you touched on, was it 148 countries? Did I hear that number correct? I think it's 143. Um, to be to be 100% correct, we always try. It's more than 140. I think it's 143. It might, you know, it might be overnight be 144. The, 
it, it, I've just learned this weekend that I think Kosovo is busy forming. So it, 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 it's it, it's not in me. It's not as if we sit, you know, on a little throne and all the board members and decide this is the new country. It, it bubbles up. There are members that move and and are doing business in certain countries, and they meet people that they believe is you know are the right people, and they, and then we see those chapters forming. That's fantastic. So with that, the question, the next question that I would ask you is as you travel the world working with these members and these business leaders, how do you adapt your communication style or your approach to listening to make sure that you're connecting with these people who might have a universal business language, but have their own cultural norms and expectations for communication? Yeah, well, we are lucky in YPO because we do have a you know practiced language between YPOs. Um, we call it the language of forum, um, and that's how we get together every every uh, month and how we share our lives. And and forum language, you know, is sort of profound. We um, it teaches you active listening. Um, it teaches you to not judge. Um, it teaches you to not uh, instruct. Um, and those concepts really come in handy when it comes to communication. So, you know, if I, let's say I visit um, a country in South America, you know, it's never been there before, do not know the culture, but showing up and being able to just hear what's going on first, not be opinionated about it, say, well, I know how you can fix this, or this is a great thing that you should do next, but sharing your own experience, which is the language of YPO, um, that is the, that's how you scale the hurdle of communication across all of these countries. Um, I, I think any culture, if somebody new bumps into it and they, you know, come in like, a, as Miley would say, with like a wrecking ball and they have all the solutions and this is what we can do with your, your um, area and this is how you can be better at what you're doing. I think that's when communication starts to fall down. So, so you said it again in your question. I think active listening, uh, not being opinionated, sharing your own experience of what you went through and allowing them to find questions in that, um, that's that's the way. So we are lucky. YPO train us before we start to travel to do this the right way. So many great points there. And the two that struck me the most were not judging and not instructing. And I can only imagine how difficult that must be for a group of leaders who have built successful organizations, who run successful organizations. And to be fair, have built a lot of their success on their ability to make what they believe to be sound judgments and instruct mm -hmm. people on mm -hmm. what to do and how to do it in order to be there successfully. So as YPO has provided this training and you have gone out and worked with these forums and chapters all over the world, are there specific techniques or approaches that you've seen successful helping people begin to move away from the natural impulses to judge and instruct? Um, listen, it comes naturally to us. It's, it, I think this, that is the paradox of YPO. It's like, this, if you're a top leader in your organization, you are successful, please join this organization. Once you join, it's like, please do not tell us how to be successful and do not, you know, it's like, wait a moment. I thought that those were my superpowers. Um, it, you know, it's, it's actually, it happens really quick to be quite honest with you. Um, because YPO it's, you do not join in the day. It takes you, you know, three, four, five, six months to join. And the onboarding is, is really good. It's a, hey, 
if you if you want to learn these two things, you know, when you start to tell other people what to do or when you start to judge how they are doing things will be your biggest hurdle to learn. So if you really joined us to learn, which we are, YPO is a learning organization through and through, through and through. So you, we know you're here to learn. We are telling you the two biggest stumbling blocks in learning. So you better, you better get those things out. And, you know, the one great thing about YPOs and, uh, and leaders in general, we call each other out. So when you see that behavior in a fellow YPOer, um, you say, hey, what? That's, that's not what we signed up for. This is not what we signed up for. So you, you've been kept in line. And, and the great thing there is, is Mike, doesn't matter. Where, if I travel to Egypt, I'm kept in line. If I travel to Japan, I'm kept in line. Um, even though the you know my culture versus people in Cairo versus people in Tokyo are so different, but this we this we do. So uh, I th- I think it's just um, from a leadership perspective, if you know what those boundaries are, if it's clearly communicated, if it's understandable, it helps. It's not that difficult. Again, hence my sort of surprise on how quick we can still learn and transform. I have learned. I think I'm one of the most judgy people on earth. I mean, I, I sum people up in literally three seconds, make a decision and then move on. And I, I learned how to scale that hurdle. Uh, and, it, and it now comes natural for me to not do it. Um, so, and there's also safety and trust. So let, let's quickly talk about that counterpoint. How do you get someone that is so quick in decision-making and so rigid in the way that they know they want to run their business to be this vulnerable? Um, it, that, that, that is probably the most amazing thing about YPO is there's trust. I trust you that I can be vulnerable. I trust you that you will listen to me when I speak. And YPO probably uh, the, the, the biggest magic is the way that it scales that trust across cultures, across co- uh, uh, countries, across, across ages. Because remember, we have YPO members that are 21 years old. We have YPO members that are 93 years old. So this is not just scaling across cultures. This is scaling across generations. And sometimes even within one country, the difference between generations are so vastly different that that's a culture shock. So, no, I think it's the safety net of trust which allow us to um, step away from these really in- these deep instincts of control. All fantastic points. And again, I love how you weaved in there the fact that really trust equals vulnerability. If we want someone to trust us, they have to be comfortable being vulnerable in front of us. And again, I imagine that a lot of the people who you are interacting with at that level, vulnerability might not be their superpower. (laughs) So getting them in the room and accepting that, I'm imagining that we know the power of common bonds. And we know that when people have common bonds, when they've had shared common experiences or made common sacrifices, that it can be easier to influence each other. It can be easier to trust each other. And I would imagine that even globally, when we have CEOs who have shared the common experience of growing businesses and developing businesses and earning that success and the impact it has on their families and their personal life and that roller coaster, that's a large set of common experiences to build off of. But there's still the challenge of meshing or aligning the individual personalities within a group. So I'm curious from your perspective, you mentioned the forum environment, and again, I'm only familiar with it from the outside, but I imagine as new members join a forum or join a chapter, there's a bit of that, for lack of a better word, cultural integration between that group and the way they communicate and the way they support each other. What are some of the great 
techniques or examples you've seen for existing groups welcoming in a new member and really bringing them up to speed or making them feel comfortable with the level of vulnerability it takes to be a valuable member of the group? Uh, thanks, uh, thanks for the question. I, I, I smile when I hear that question because I think if you do this podcast with our 35,000 members, you will get 36,000 answers to this question, which is probably the answer where I'm going towards. It's integration for YPO is storytelling. And that is really the only way that I can say that I've seen this cult cultural infusion happening. So when you join this group, the thing that you need to hear are the stories of these members, what it means to them, what vulnerability means, what this language means, what not non-judgment means, how their businesses have grown, how their relationships with their spouses or partners have changed, um, how they see their kids, how they're experiencing their kids, what they're doing in community. These are just stories. We have found that there's nothing more powerful than these stories to actually really quickly um, culture board people. And, um, and, and culture boarding is, is an extremely important part of YPO. Because if, if I you know, sort of boast about this, this general language across every country and every culture and, and every skill level, um, you know, how does that happen? And it happens because we share our stories. And once, if, you, if I sit with you, my son is 14, your son is six. If you share with me today something that you're doing and this is really working out in your relationship with your son, it doesn't matter that my son is, is 14 years old. I'm going to learn from that. There's going to be something that inspires me to be better, to showing up, to say, hey, Raymond, you know, before game, what I do is we always stop at this place and we do this. I'm like, oh, maybe my boy doesn't go to a game. Maybe he goes to band practice. But I'm going to do that before I go to band practice. And there's, there's these shared tiny bits of life-changing stories that makes us connect and that becomes the culture um, because the culture is not, oh, now I need to get my boy to play a sport because that's what you are doing. It's not that. We don't, we don't assimilate to lead this, the, you know, the, the same lives as each other, but we learn from other to deploy and apply those to our lives. So, you know, it sounds very simple, Mike, maybe, but it comes back to that vulnerability and, trust because the more sure stories that you share the more that those stories are impactful you know me and my wife we came to this bump we were not sure we liked each other anymore and this is how we felt and this is what we did and this is where we are now that story is profound because it can help me and my spouse or my partner but it could help me in my relationship with my dad maybe because there was something that you said in a practice that you do and they're like oh my gosh i haven't spoken to my dad for like three years but I feel like I can connect in this way. And you do not know what these things are. You merely are sharing your story. In your mind, like, I'm just sharing a story of me and Gabe showing up at a game and what we're doing. But how it's perceived and how you listen to that story really brings the culture along to understand. I would encourage anybody listening that has the time to go back and listen to what you just said and pick up on some of the important themes and nuances. When we talk about and I'm, and I'm speaking from the outside, that culture of language through YPO that is consistent globally. Yes, that's built on trust and vulnerability and sharing language, but there's also the universality of the human experience. 
As human mm-hmm. beings, no matter where we're from, no matter where we are, there are common universal things that we experience, that we feel, and that we want. And when we build from that core out, it is surprising with how quickly and how significantly we can connect with people who otherwise we might not have seen initially anything in common with or any value with. And to build on that, and it's something that I'm so happy to hear you say, and I've seen it with other YPOers as well, a huge mistake people make is they go into a conversation with one goal in mind. I'm here to negotiate a deal. I'm here to meet a new customer. I'm here to give a performance review. I'm here to talk to somebody for five minutes so they think I care about them as a person. But what you just illustrated is I might end up in a forum meeting or I might end up talking to somebody in the airport lounge or I might end up at a conference or wherever it is. I might be just talking with somebody in a conference room before a business meeting, but they might share a story that has nothing to do with why I think I'm here, but has a significant impact on my life somewhere else. And for me, that skill of always keeping the radar on and understanding that there's value in here somewhere I may not know, and I may not know it today. It may dawn on me two weeks from now when I'm in the car with my son and I reflect back on this conversation. But that type of open mind, that dedication of, to learning and really soaking it in and not just being not putting the blinders on for I'm here for one reason, because people especially people at the level that you're interacting with have so many experiences that they can impact our lives in so many ways. And we are being foolish if we shut off the possibility to allow that from happening. Yeah, Mike, listen, listen, I agree. And I think this is the, the, yes, what I will tell you is once you get that, once you get the value of understanding that or being open to it, because you said one thing, the radar needs to be open. If we go in with that one thought and we cannot let that thought go, so meaning the other person is speaking, we go like, okay, how do I get him back to my conversation? How do I come back to my, you have to let go. You just have to let go. Believe me, you will not forget your plan. You will not forget your plan. You don't have to hold on to your plan while you're there. Let it go. Listen, there might be one thing, one thing in that story that will be way more valuable than the plan that you showed up with. Um, Now, YPO foster that sort of environment for you. And I think YP is really good at, as I said, onboarding and teaching that. But I find this to be valuable in anything I do. This is not a YPO thing. <laughs> my YPO taught me this, but this is, I deploy it with, with my kids. They know now. I don't use the YPO words because they get annoyed when I do. I don't say let's forum or, you know, let's check in because they, they, they know my lingo. But, you know, when I take Abby for brunch, um, I would just, you know, she would say, now, last week, you know, I only sold two bracelets. She's got her own little business. And I wouldn't say, okay, why do you think that it's, did you not make them well? I would just say, how did it make you feel? How do you feel about that? It's like, I, you know, I, I don't, I think my business is going down. It's like you, you think your business is going down, but, you know, baby, it was the week between Christmas and New Year. Nobody's buying anything. Do you know about market trends? Can we talk about that a little while? But, but when she, I needed to know that she feels not that there's something wrong with her product, but that she's failing in her little business. And one, and then, and then I can bring back sort of, and I say, yeah, yes, yes, share, yes, what's happening to me? You know what I've, what we've learned over the years? We we now even close our business between Christmas and New Year because we've realized after a while that there's just no sales and it just doesn't worthwhile. So good on you for still selling something in that period, but most businesses don't. Um, 
it's so you, you can take this anyway. You can take this anyway. You know, we we and and, and it's not <laughs> please not to become annoying, but when you really ask people how things make them feel, it's probably one of the best sort of invitations to tell a story. And it doesn't have to be corny or weird. You know, if you, you bump into Buddy and it's like it's like I you know, I, I missed my son's, you know, whatever, graduation. I couldn't be there. And it's like, dude, are you okay? And and what does it mean for you? You, you? you don't have to become a therapist. None of us are therapists for each other because I have missed so many things. Or you can just cho- choose to say, I know, I know how that must feel. When I missed my dad's funeral three years ago because of travel, this is what came. An immediate invitation to tell a story. I love it. Creating the invitation to tell the story, but then also the power of asking people how they feel. Often what we say and do is driven by how we feel. I don't think that's a secret, but giving people the opportunity to share that then unlocks the conversation moving forward and helps us be able to identify the best path to be able to get them to another emotion that gets them closer to the action or the perspective they need to move forward. So I assume you could have probably sat down with your daughter. How many bracelets did you sell to? Oh, well, that makes sense. It's only Christmas and New Year's. Like you could have led right into that. Immediately. And maybe, maybe the lesson sticks, maybe it doesn't. But now by saying, oh, okay, well, I'm curious as you reflect on the week, how does that make you feel? Now it's a choose your own adventure. She could say, well, it was the week between Christmas and New Year's. I guess two is better than zero. Cool. We'll go that road. It could be, I feel like I'm failing. Whoa. Okay. Well, now let's. This is, this is something else. Yeah. And now they're, the learning anchor there is attached to how she felt in the moment, being able to voice that and not just making this a spreadsheet, but actually making it a human to human conversation. So that's, it's a little detail, but it's super important. It's just a, you know, and, and Mike, the thing that I, that I loved in all of our conversations before is to these little tricks and, you know, that you also have to say, listen, this. So for me, when you ask a question, the altruistic way of looking at it is, wow, you are so generous. You are allowing the other person to tell their story. I think it's, it's actually quite selfish for your own benefit to ask a question. You are the person getting the benefit. So it's like, oh, you know, this feels a bit woo-woo, always asking about the other person or allowing them to speak. My goodness, you are setting yourself up for success. So if you want to bring it back to this, I want to be successful, I want to, you know, you, all these words that we've learned to use in, in the world to drive self-worth. I'm telling you now, asking a question, one, teaches you active listening, and secondly, empower you with more information. Now, you can misuse that information, please don't, or you can apply that information to be better. And we say, we want to be better. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better leader. Just listening to that story might, might teach you something, you know, profound. So there's real benefit. And this is the point that I want to make. These things that do not come because we're all out there to be this altruistic warriors of, you know, humanity. It's a pursuit of betterment. Asking questions has a great side effect to allow you to understand and listen and grow. Amen. There's always something for me. There's always many things that we don't know. And sometimes we can make assumptions and they're right or they're close enough and we can move forward, but there's always something we don't know. And especially if we need information from other people, they're in control of the conversation. They're going to decide what's okay to share and when it is. 
So let's hand them the control with the questions. And I love the example that you gave where, well, I don't love the example itself, but the example that you gave where, you know, I remember how I felt when I missed my father's funeral. I, I don't love anybody missing their father's funeral. Let me get that part clear. But the power of that example. So even before we ask somebody else how they feel, if we illustrate a similar situation and how we felt, we felt. Know, I appreciate you telling me, you know, I experienced this. It's not quite the same. This is how I felt. I can only imagine what it must be like for you. How do you feel? You. So yeah. we're showing vulnerability and it can be a three second thing. It doesn't have to be big. Three seconds. Yeah. And Mike, that's also the transaction of empathy. Cause I, I remember, you know, my therapist, I, you know, a while ago when I got into the therapy thing, which I absolutely love, you know, at the third session, she looked at me, she's like, you know what, Raymond, I've, really really met a person with so little empathy than you and i was like what did she just say i mean i thought of myself as the most empathetic human being um but but it it was it was my quick judgment and decision making that i know exactly what the other person is speaking about and then me offering a solution to their problem that was my definition of empathy literally like how empathetic am i i just fix their problem for them and you know empathy you know, at its base level is just putting yourselves in the shoes of someone. And if you can't also just recognizing that you cannot put yourself in the shoes of someone. Uh, and you also get that by, by sharing your own story and asking questions. So, you know, when, when there are some of these big words that are, that are tough to scale, empathy was a tough one for me to scale, simple solution to, uh, to actually bring it into your life. I'm very curious. Can we go back to that for a second? Sure. Practice what we preached five seconds ago. Um, I think many times in all of our lives, I can think of plenty of time in mind, we believe something to be true in our bones and somebody called it out to us that it wasn't true. And I think a natural human response to that is to immediately disagree. That's not true. I don't agree with you. This is what I believe. And then one way or another, we've got to work through almost like the cycle of grief, realizing that we might've been wrong. We were misleading ourselves. Here's this evidence. It's true. I need to accept it. I need to change. I need to be better. So I'm very curious when you were told by this therapist that you had no empathy, I paraphrase, mm -hmm. and, and what was, to the best that you can recall, what was your initial reaction? And then how did you begin to lead yourself towards a new and improved reality that many people would likely resist? Well, I think this comes down to every person says, so this is a, it's a really a Raymond answer. You know, I love a good deal. So when I pay for a therapist, I really want to make them work and give me. So, so I said, stop right now. N now we need to have a deep dive on empathy because I hear what you're saying. There must be a reason why you say what you say. <laughs> I do not believe that to be true at all. So can we just talk about empathy for a while? Because I am 100% sure my definition and your definition are not aligned. I now want to learn. And, and that's, and that was just, okay, I don't know. I've never studied empathy. I don't think I've read a book on empathy before. So my understanding of empathy is just sort of how I got context by reading literature, you know, how it shows up in a, in a, in a story maybe, not even. So, so I just said, I want to do the work. So what do you have available for me? What can I read? Your base skill forward now because I need to understand. And that's how I showed up with that. Um, there was no, there was no other way for me but to say, "Hey, you you need to explain this to me," and that helped. 
you know, the moment that you start to explain, and and it's this was just one case of this. This happened. I just did my Berkman assessment. Now, Mike, I've done any assess every assessment that you can think of. You know, I'm from uh, Myers Briggs, my Enneagram, you know, disc. I know who I am. I mean, I've done so many of these things, and they always show up the same. So I just did my Berkman, and please go and do it. It's a fantastic assessment, and it scored me as it, it came up again. It said. On the scale from being blunt to being intuitive, or just I am like 100% blunt and 0% intuitive, like, oh my goodness, it's showing up again. It's the end of 2023. And I just and I just realize is the way that I like to show up, I really like to show up authentically. This is the thing that drives me. I want to be 100% Raymond. So, so I push that boundary of Raymond. I push Raymond to always be 100% open and vulnerable. That can feel for other people like Raymond being just blunt. Because it's not that I'm saying something bad about you. I might be sharing something about me that feels like, well, do you really want to tell me that right now? Or do you really want to tell me your emotion right now? And it's another learning to say, well, sometimes that needs to be modulated. Or how do I, with this desire of me to be authentic and to say, well, you will always get a truthful Raymond. How does it show up? So I still, I still learned uh, uh, Susan Bean, who, who drove that process. She's phenomenal. Uh, that's a plug I'm doing, Mike, for Susan Bean and the Berkman out there. You know, she guided me. I had a sort of a two-hour session with her where we stepped through these things. And what a learning. But my, in, my always my reaction when I see these things, like Blunt, Raymond Blunt, I would not think that for a million miles, but when they start to unpack it for you and you learn from it, you learn the definition. This is what I can say. Do not think that you know what a word means for some people, like, you know, joy. I know what joy means. Believe me, joy means different things for different people, even a simple concept like that. So ask for the definition, uh, then maybe align on a new definition and see where you where you land on that. And I, I, I that threat of unempatheticness or bluntness is really just connected to, to I, I think, just because of my lived experience, this deep desire. I don't want anybody to call me fake. It's my worst nightmare. Raymond is such a fake guy. So I think I just show up sometimes too strong in that sort of fear that I have. And then it shows up in these things of, you know, empathy and bluntness, et cetera. It gives me a great point that I'd love to hopefully remember to circle back to. But I do want to highlight the magic in what you were able to do in that moment. The immediate vulnerability, and I'm open to this. So you tell me I'm not empathetic. I think I'm empathetic. Stop. We're going to talk about this. So immediately opening yourself up, not stop. I'm going to defend. But in your words, stop. I need to learn. And then making a very important pivot. It's not I think you're wrong and I think I'm right. It's not I think you're telling me I'm wrong. It's I need to learn what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then once I'm more comfortable with the issue we're discussing, now I can have a more educated conclusion and decide how close I am and where I need to pivot and where I need to learn. So people have probably been to a thousand classes where they were told it's never about the people. It's always about the issue. And that's easier said than done. But the way that you just illustrated that is a perfect example of one way to do that. Wait. I feel like you're telling me I'm wrong. We can't both be right or wrong here. Mm -hmm. But instead of making this me versus you, let me be vulnerable. Understand there's things I don't know or understand. Let's define the issue. In this case, what is empathy? Okay, now that I understand that, let's go ahead and work to whatever evolutions need to be made. And I just want to take a second to call out 
how important that line of thought and communication was. Yeah, it's again. I think I know that this podcast of yours is about leadership as well. And leadership is a just this thing, this concept that I that I absolutely am just infatuated with because um, you know it's it, it, you know one one person see leadership and they think of fascism. <laughs> you know, it's like always oh, it's, it's like telling people what to do. Another one see a servant leader. You know, they think of Gandhi when you speak about leadership. So so I can tell you there's a couple of things which connect to this. Point that you just made in our, in, our, in our conversation, where the idea of asking questions, sort of pulling back and just just asking questions, the idea of holding a truth for yourself that there cannot be a single story. You know, this is something I, I just constantly tell myself: there's not a single story. There's no single story about what is empathy. There's no single story about what failure is. There's no single story about what it means to be a good dad. There's no single story about divorce. These concepts that we just feel like we know what it is. Divorce equals a broken marriage. There's my definition. I got it. I want to tell you, open yourself up for the multiple stories in these things. You know, I spoke to a, a phenomenal YPO the other day that went through divorce. The, the, the let's call it the, the judiciary concept of divorce, papers, signing, not being together anymore because that's what it's called. You file for divorce, these things have names. But how it sh showed up for them is realizing for them both that they are expanding in ways where they need something else. Having that conversation with each other about that expansion, deciding how they're going to tackle it. And it ended up with this YPO actually be hosting the ceremony of her ex-partner in their new journey. And being able to show up and say, I will, I will be, I will host this fusion for you. And we will invite family and friends because that's how we chose to do that. Now, Mike, you know that this is a very different story on how typical people show up to the concept of divorce. So leadership for me is tackling any of these things, business growth, personal, you know, turmoil. And saying, A, I'm willing to ask the questions, and B, I will not hold a single story to be true, because else I will anyway never learn. If I hold on to my single story, okay, Raymond, you want to talk to me about your business that's failing? I think you're just lazy, because I know you, because you you know, you know never show up when you spotlight, you always just bring a bag of chips. You know, I know you. So when you tell me your business is failing, I know why your business is failing. It's just because you're a lazy, lazy guy. If you're going to hold on to that truth, nothing, there's no leadership opportunities. There's no opportunity to help and guide. Um, but to ask the questions and to remove that single story probably brings you closer to being that servant leader that we all aspire to be. The power in that one statement. There's no, there's, there cannot be just one single story. There's no such thing as a single story. I'll probably misquote it, but I will be quoting it for the rest of my life. The power in that is so true. And just this morning, my wife's going to choke me when she knows, when she, when she hears this. But just this morning, my son's at swimming lessons. And yesterday after jujitsu, we took him to swimming lessons. And the swim instructor, who appears to be a girl in high school who's probably on a swim team, didn't interact with him super. She didn't give him a lot of attention. Like, so, I mean, did she teach him the thing? Sure. And did, was he safe? Yeah. And did he learn? Sure. So, like, transactionally, everything we needed to be right. done was done. But she didn't look like she was enjoying the experience. So now my wife's comment on that is she's annoyed by Gabe and she doesn't like children. 
That could very well be true. Could be one of the truths. <laughs> but there could one. be other stories there as well. Yeah. So let's talk through this and decide which group of stories do we think is most likely? What's the outcome that we're looking for from Gabriel? What are our other alternatives? And what's kind of the best decision to move forward here? And, you know, choosing the right swim instructor for your six-year-old son is not a significant decision. But recency bias for me, that's another example of there's not just one story. And yeah. Yeah. the real story for you and the real story for me can be different. I mean, they probably can't be polar opposite, but they can be different. And then we can find that common ground to work through together. Yeah. And you know, the one thing that I will tell you, what comes up for me when you say this, which is sort of the flip side of how to be open and how to be vulnerable is we all get triggered by some things. I have learned to run towards my triggers and just it's fun identifying them. You know, your partner tells you just, you know, flippantly, you know, Will you please get some half and half this morning? And you see that please as an indictment of you never doing things the right way. And you are triggered by that. You know, it is actually joyful realizing that you're like, wait a moment. Please, with a little emphasis on the E, is making me feel this way. And, and then to say it, to say, you know what I just realized? Just this sort of please that I got from you is really triggering me to feel like I'm not a good partner and I'm not showing up. It's my story and I'm going to laugh a little bit about it because I know that you just really want to drink your cup of coffee and you hate drinking it without half and half. And I was at the store last night and but just running into it. So, in your, because we, we, we talked about a couple of really personal um, um, sort of examples here when it comes to our family, our kids, you know, our partners, our spouses, our business. Believe me, our businesses is such a personal thing. Um, so, so there's also this work that we can do that I, I call quiet work that we do not reflect with someone else, that we do not have to tell someone else, but we tell ourselves. And that is just starting to sort of identify. I really now know what things trigger me. When, when, when people indicate just even a little bit that I'm not trustworthy, that I'm not always there for them, it's a disproportionate trigger that I'm getting. Like, I just want to fight immediately. I want to just beat you down and prove to you that I'm the most dependable person. How can I be dependable for everybody around me? It's impossible to be. So it's just a trigger that I'm like, okay, so Raymond, why, why this enormous urge to be seen as the most dependable person on earth? What is this? And it's, you know, those things you don't solve in a day. And it's sort of part of the inner journey, uh, you know, because not all of these things are you know, exist in relationship or in communication or in, you know, and I know we're speaking about leadership communication, which is per definition contact with other humans. Never forget to be in contact with yourself as well, because the more that you learn about these things, I I promise you, um, the, the better you understand, the better you understand. Again, amen. And to hear you say, I find joy in understanding what triggers me is probably one of the most Raymond things I've ever heard you say. Most people, when they just by definition, right, they get triggered, they're angry, they're upset. And I can totally picture you being upset and then quickly pivoting and now laughing because you realized what it was that made you upset. And my personal bias and opinion here, I feel like for a lot of us, our ability to be successful in any especially communication, but in any situation is to pivot from the problem to the solution faster than the next person. Mm -hmm. So I've, un I, I understand that I'm getting angry. 
okay, what made me angry? Ah, it was the please. <laughs> yes. Okay, kind of so funny simple. that a little emphasis on the letter E just pissed me all the way off. All the way off. So now how do I handle that and move forward and not just help me become a better person? Because now that I know what it is, it won't piss me off so much the next time, but find the right way to talk to my wife about it while I go back to the store and get the half and half. There you go. <laughs> it, still needs, it still needs to happen. And, you know, I think, okay, again, all these things doesn't come from a place of goodness. So me running into my triggers is just, I hate it that I'm a slave to anything. I hate being conned, even by myself. And I realized that I con myself sometimes with these triggers. And I hate that. Like, no, I'm like, even if I don't want to beat myself, I don't want to lead myself by the nose and not knowing and understanding why I'm reacting that way. That's just, I just don't like it. I, 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 I think it's so, so it's not as if, you know, I do, you know, like deep meditation in the morning and go like, oh, let me understand the things that I cannot change. It's, it's not that. It's just like a real desire for me to be in control of my life. I, you know, we, we, I call it the fruit fly moment. If you, if you understand the universe and the beauty of this e expansion and this rope, this rock that we're floating on, you know, we basically fruit flies. We've got this tiny bit of consciousness that we can lean into and be good and learn and be there for other people. And I just don't want to waste time. I don't want to waste time. And, and so when I lean into my triggers, it's not because I want to be, you know, you know, a guru or something. I just don't want, I don't want these things to be in my life. I don't want to feel the emotion without having control over it. How can I go from happy to, to being just deeply unsatisfied in one second? I hate that uh, sort of chasm that can easily, like I, I fall like I'm falling into a bus. Like I, I hate that feeling. So for me, it's, 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 it's part of the process of just saying, listen, there's X amount of hours in a day. There's X amount of minutes. I want to achieve some things and I like to, you know, move forward. And I just hate it when I am becoming my own stumbling block. I just, I just don't like it. Which I think we can all feel. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I love the example and how you work through it and identify it. And even the thought of, I don't want to be conned by my own triggers. They're real. I feel them, but I don't want them to guide me. I want to guide myself towards yeah. what I want to achieve. I want to circle a little bit back to something is especially at this part of the conversation, your passion really shows through. And one of the things that I've always known about you is you're an extremely passionate person for the things that you believe in, for the things that you care about, for the things that you work towards. And that's a great thing. I think for some of us, our passion can come across as being blunt sometimes. Mm -hmm. And our passion can come across in a way where people feel like, our story is becoming the dominating story or mm -hmm. our solution is the dominating solution or, you know, we're not, you know, they don't have the chance to talk or their feelings don't matter as much. So having listened and believing everything that you've talked about in this conversation and withholding the judgment and asking the right questions and growing and learning and developing, knowing how passionate that you are, how do you work to kind of balance your passion with these new empathetic opportunities to demonstrate these leadership characteristics in all facets of your life? Mike, I, I mostly still fail at it. I mean, this is part of my journey. It's such a good question that you've, that you've highlighted. It's very recent for me, I think in the last three, four years, where I realized that <clears throat> my passion shows up differently for people. You know, some people see it as bullying. Like, Remy, you're such a bully. And I'm like, you know, the opposite of a bully. So like, let me understand that. But it's because when I believe in something, 
And then when I see that not showing up for someone, so when I get, somebody's not listening to me, they ask me to tell a story. They say, Raymond, how does this make you feel? I start to tell them and then they do not listen to what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's a problem. I'm like, wait, I, I know I gave you the opportunity to really say how you feel. And I listened and I reflected on what you said. Why do you not do the same for me? Those are triggers. Those are triggers because it feels it's not equal. It's like, listen, if I'm vulnerable, why are you not vulnerable? And again, it's not about that. So, so I, you know, let's do a podcast in five years again. And then you ask that question again. But Mike, it's really something that I struggle with. I struggle with learning how to balance things that I just love deeply and that I am passionate about and that I just, you know, believe in so much with that empathetic voice or pause of listening. Because I will still listen to you, but if I really connect that, you know, even just someone who believes something negative about themselves, they share their story, I share my story, and they still believe something negative about themselves. Then I get sort of a little annoyed. I'm like, wait, wait a moment, we, we just had a moment. You, and, and it shows up specifically for my kids a lot. You know, Abigail would tell me, dad, I just don't think I'm beautiful. And I'm like, okay. We do the right thing. How do you feel? As well? I mean, is it stuff that you see? Blah, 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 blah. We go through 30 minutes and she's like 100% still at the point where she doesn't believe she's beautiful. And I'm like, okay, well, this doesn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> we have put in the work. And I now want you to realize immediately that what you are saying is categorically false. I struggle with that. So so I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm conscious of it. I ask my friends to call me out on it. I've got good friends that do. I ask my partner. A people that's really my life to call me out on it. Um, but but these are not just one-dimensional things that's just, you know, a path full of roses. Even if you are empathetic, and I truly believe I am, if you do listen, if you, there's no single story, if you ask the questions, you can still show up with your way that becomes prohibitive for other people. And um, you are right. My passions sometimes pull over into something that becomes not that great as a, or making people not feel that great. And I think there's this age old saying, this is not Raymond saying, people never remember what you told them. They remember how you make them feel. And believe me, um, if, if, if you turn your passion and, and your beliefs into judgment, which I think has been my biggest problem since birth, <laughs> I just really love to judge people. Um, you know, you, you fail. There's no, there's no purpose. There's no purpose in making anybody feel less. Um, and I don't think I, I promise you, Mike, I don't think I do. I don't, but I know I have those moments where I, I just, you know, recently a couple of month, month and a half ago, um, I had, I was in a board meeting, which I thought was one of the most successful board meetings that I've ever had. Great outcomes. I was so proud of what we achieved as a board. And one of the board members afterwards came to me and say, Raymond, I really feel bullied. I just feel the, just bullied. You, this is the first time that I've seen you showing up as a bully. And it really struck me that I walked out with my single story of enormous success. And another member of the board stepped out with a deep sense of not having the freedom to be themselves. So, yeah, keep on learning. I appreciate your vulnerability in that answer. Thank you very much. Again, practicing what you preach for sure. And to be honest, I asked that question selfishly. Because there's times where I've been in front of a room and I've been asked a question or I've been given an example and it lights my passion. So I answer it in a way that I believe is 
engaged, is passionate, is focused on the issue. And then at the next break, someone comes up to me like, wow, you ran that dude over. And I was like, no, 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 no. But but that's how it was perceived out there. I thought- if If that's how it makes them feel, Mike, that's the truth of the moment. It doesn't matter what your intent is. They will remember being sort of railed down and not being an opportunity to be themselves or that what they showed up as is less than what you, what you believe that that's less than you. So uh, here's the great thing is, you know, this is why I also love to bring it back to YPO. We don't say, you know, we say we are, we are learning organization. We say we are lifelong learning organization because there is no end state to learning. There is no aha moment. You know, we don't have the sort of, Apple falling from the tree. We go like, gravity, world is done, let's move on. Every day unfolds with a new learning opportunity. And uh, as long as we open about it and say, invite people to call us out on it uh, that's close to us and me practicing more on it. I Because um, I think even, even passion could be triggers. The, the, the fact that, my, you know, that I feel like I need to be, bring more of my passion. Why do you need to bring more of your passion right now, Raymond? Why do you feel so strongly in this moment? Um, do you really need to be? And, um, and yeah, I, you know, and, and, and also, I think there's also empathy for ourselves in this. I have always been just a passionate kid about everything. You know, it's just like, I just love things. It's, it's, you know, me opening up a present, it's just the funnest thing to watch. Cause it's just, I find joy in these little things. So knowing yourself as well, say, Hey, this is sort of a DNA thing that I have. Um, and, but it can be perceived badly. I can deploy it badly. You know, bullying is a terrible word. It's a word that we all run away from, um, but it can still show up in the in the best intentions. Absolutely, and best intentions is is a great way to say it. Two things I'd love to to call out real quick, if I may. Number one, you've said multiple times that you ask people to call you out, mm. and they're trusted people. They're people to your that you're close with, whose opinions matter, who you will listen to. The fact that you've given them permission makes it more valuable when they do. I can't recommend that approach strongly enough to people, whether it is your spouse, your partner, your close friends, your business partners, your mentors, your coaches, your teammates, whoever it is, giving them the permission to call you out is one thing, but then supporting them when they do, especially Mm. initially, thank you. Even if it pisses you off and you think they're wrong, thank you for telling me that. Thank you for calling me out. I appreciate it. What made you feel that way? What did I, what was it that I said? What was it that I did? So that way, the first couple of times they call you out, they believe that you're actually listening and they will continue to yeah. do it. But that that personal practice is so important. And then on the second one, sort of an underlying theme, you talked about all the different assessments that you've taken. And from my observations, whatever they are or are not worth, I believe I've observed that when people take assessments, they look at them one or two, one of two ways. One is, wow, these are all the things, the components of who I am, and I need to do a better job learning and understanding and evolving, and how do I show up where with who based on what I'm trying to achieve? And other people look at it as, well, this is who I am, and the rest of the world has to adapt to me. And I just want to call out how thrilled I am that you are very clearly in the first group and not the second group, because you'd be surprised how many people I run into, and there's other groups that I'll work with, well, they'll have name tags and they'll have like their disc profile or their color or whatever on their, on their name tag. Yeah. And I'll have guys literally pick it up and show it to me and say, well, this is who I am. Mm. Well, it's who you're choosing to be. Just to show up. Yes. We have full control. I mean, this is, this is again, back to the trigger. 
once you get to know yourself, you can truly be anything you want. You can show up in any way. And just to say that I'm a strong D and this is always what I do, or I'm a blue. And I've heard this before. It's like, I'm a blue. And you're like, well, you were red. I'm like, oh, whatever. Get away from me. This is not what we're going to have. There's understanding to discover yourself. There's, you know, we are. Here's one thing if you go really philosophical, Mike, is I believe that um, reductionism is so has become the worst, bring out the worst in humans. We want the three points of this, the five points of that you know, the two ways to lose weight. Uh, and humans are just infinitely complex. We should embrace complexity, not reductionism. We should not adhere to the three ways of being a better spouse, but we should adhere to the 560,000 ways of being a better spouse. And and because we have the capacity, we have the capacity to understand complex things. You know, there is not one computer program or piece of hardware that can still mimic the amount of connections we have in our brain and our synapses and how we think about stuff. It is phenomenal what we can do. I believe in the power of, of human beings. And so, so I always just challenge my teams and people in my life to rush towards complexity. Stop running towards simplicity and reductionism and go like, I am a D and this is what I am. It is the worst thing that you can do. This human of infinite potential, wrapping yourself under one letter or under one concept, just just don't. You know, there's the there's the judgy Raymond coming in again. It's like just don't do it. Please don't do it. You you can be so much more. You can practice to show up differently. And I also know it to be true because if you think how you change your tone of voice and your communication style when you go into the bank to ask for a loan, or whether you speak to your child when they just did the same thing wrong for for the fifteenth time, versus how you speak to your mom when she's really crying about a loss in her life. You modulate yourself. You do not show up as the same mic to all three of those situations because humans can. We are chameleons. We can we can assess the situation. We can show up in the best way to support the situation. If you were the bank manager, you want to get the loan. I mean, you're not going to come and say, like, what's your communication style? And I think you can do things better. And let me show you all the things that I can do. You could like, listen, what are the things that will make this loan not work? And what are your, what do you, don't you like about our organization? Or, you know, this is the first time that we are pushing this boundary or we want these terms that we've never done before. That's how you're going to show up. You're not going to bring that to your boy that is climbing the outside of the stairwell again. And you need to explain to him that you can die when you do this. When dad asks you to be inside the rail, when you go down a stairway, it's just because of your safety. You're not going to approach that with how does this stairwell thing make you feel, you know? You just say no. Let me explain to you what death means. <laughs> you lean into that. So, you know, let's just this adhering to again single stories or reductionism. I do think takes away um, our superpowers. And then my my dream is that we rather sort of explore and expand our superpowers than reduce them. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like efficiency is the enemy of great communication. So I'm just trying to rush to an answer. I want the two bullet points. I don't want the complexity, the consideration. I, I couldn't agree more. Efficiency is great in manufacturing. I'm sure we could come up with, with areas where trying to be the most efficient is the best thing to do. But when we're trying to communicate with other human beings, efficiency is the antithesis of what we should be looking for if we're trying to create value. And I also want to highlight that all the examples you just made are 100% true. Kids, bank business, wife, mom, all those situations. And we're authentic in all of them. 
another huge myth, I believe, is that if I'm going to be an authentic Mike Reddington, that I'm going to be the same way all the time because that's just me. No, absolutely no, that's, not. That's I can be that's 100% unauthentic. If you show up to a funeral and you just want to be this specific guy and you do not have the empathy to understand that somebody has lost a child or that there's family that's seeing each other for the first time in 10 years and they're seeing each other around a grave. If you cannot see that for what it is and be respectful in that moment to take yourself away, that's when you're unauthentic. Agree. And changing, it's not changing who we are. It's to use your word, modulating how we show up in the situation. And that can even be true at work, depending on who I'm speaking with in the office. What's their personality? What's their role? What are they dealing with? What are they feeling? Now I can change what I'm, how I'm showing up and what's the goal I'm looking to achieve. And the goal I'm looking to achieve isn't solving this problem right now. It's not getting them to say, yes, I'll do it right now. But it's building the relationship, it's building the person to achieve these longer term, more important goals. And to your point, maybe that's not altruistic, but to be goal oriented and to modulate ourselves in a way that gives us the best chance to achieve those goals. There are the boundaries to do that within and still be authentic. We have so much space so much. and There's we're doing ourselves a disservice yeah. to think any other way. It's a beautiful way of saying it. And I, and I, you know, again, just you know, these things need to get practiced. And that that's that's why I like the simplicity of the YPO model. Every month I have forum. I'm in a room with, you know, seven, eight other, you know, wonderful leaders out there sharing their stories and allowing me to practice this. And, you know, to circle back on, you know, this podcast and why we are doing this. And, and you know, we are talking about leadership. We are talking about why YPO. Um, as adults, we do not get a lot of time to exercise things that expand ourselves because we are bound by responsibilities. You know, all of us, we need to do things. We need to show up. We need to be things. Um, If you do not do enough sessions in a month, there's not enough money in the bank to pay for the things that you need to pay. And there's, you know, there's, so, so we all have that weight on us. So it's, it's, it's very counter to it for saying, you know, I'm going to take four hours today and just explore me and see how I can be better. But being in a structure that facilitates that for you, you know, for me, another example is I'm terrible going to the gym. I just hate it, but I love it going with a gym buddy. I do the same exercise and then I like it because there's, you know, I, I do, do it in community for me. That's a Raymond story. And that's sort of the YPO. It's it's a community of like-minded people that's willing to put in the time. And because we can speak about these things and me and you are passionate about the same things. But ultimately for at least other CEOs and business leaders out there, it's like there's a way that you can lean into this and practice this because it is tough doing it. It's tough being on your own and just deciding on a Tuesday morning, you know, it's you know 10 a.m. I'm going to take the next four hours and just work on me. It, 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 that feels very counterintuitive towards success, and sometimes we need organizations like YPO that facilitates and just give us the give us the freedom to be that. And we see it in other people. You know, the fact that there are thirty five thousand other CEOs across the world, you know, leading organizations willing to do the same thing. We're like, oh, maybe this is a good thing to do. You know, we get uh, Marianne Williamson said, "It's only by showing sh- shining our own light that we allow other people to shine their light." You have to start to shine your, shine your own light. And for me, that's probably the best definition of YPO. We have 35,000 leaders and CEOs and members out there that's willing to shine their light. 
And my goodness, it gives you this, this sort of impetus to start to shine your own light as well. And when you say like-minded people, th- I'm assuming that much of that like-mindedness is around learning and growth learning. and expansion and That's evolution. It. It's I feel not like- around culture. It's not around religion. It's not around politics. It's not around geography. It's not around identification because all of those things are vastly different. Uh, it, it is around the desire of betterment uh, and betterment through learning. And betterment to be a better human being and create a better world at a micro level, our business, our community, our industry at a macro level globally. And I happen to have been a part of conversations where YPOers were talking about global initiatives that they were sure. working on. So it, it really spans that whole that whole range. The whole range. So, yeah, so I think I know you said at the end you'll allow me to do a plug. And I guess my plug when it comes to YPO is they are tons of organizations that does really great things. YPO is a nonprofit uh, with a lot of champions and, and leaders stepping up to, to lead the way. And um, if you find yourself in a position where you're running your business and you're CEO and, and you just feel you need more, it's a great place to be. It's a great place. You know, I call it, and people frown when I say this. For me, it's a sneaky way of making great friends. It's like this organization is curating my friendship list for me. How good is that? Um, but there's a there's a lot of benefit in putting in the work and just being surrounded and not being alone. Isolation is terrible. Um, CEO-ship, per definition, is isolation. And um, it's a way to break through that 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 isolating stage. So, you you know, if you have, if you are not part of this community and you want to be, just reach out, uh, ypo.org. Um, the application forms are on there. Uh, you know, we never solicit. You'll never find an ad for YPO out there. Uh, we've we've never marketed ourselves, but um, it's truly a great place to uh, to be yourself. The ypo.org is the website. That's the website. It's that simple. And if people are looking to connect with you directly, I know that you're on LinkedIn and they can find you on LinkedIn. Or- you can email me directly. It's rwat at ypo.org. It's that easy. Awesome. So I'll, I'll make sure that I share that with everybody. Sure. Sir, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your time, your expertise, your vulnerability, your passion, everything that we talked about today. And just for the record, so it's on video, when I determined that it was time to start Inquasive, I went back to a notebook that has survived since San Diego and I opened up notes to our conversations and used many of the notes from our conversations as I was putting together the initial strategy and process for how I was going to get this started. So I can't thank you enough for the time that you spent with me, for all you've shown me and for all you continue to do for so many leaders and people all around the world. Deeply appreciate that, Mike. It was an honor being on this on this podcast and um, hope it helps for anyone anyone out there. Reach out. And I can't wait for us just to connect in person again because it's been too much over Zoom. It has been. It has been. I'll be very excited. Hopefully we can make that happen. You know, when you're actually in the United States for more than like an hour and a half at a <laughs> yes. time. Let's, let's figure that one out. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Thank you. Ciao. Bye-bye. Raymond, thank you for another amazing conversation. Thank you for being so open. Thank you, as we talked about, for being so vulnerable and sharing so many of your personal experiences. And thank you for illustrating how, whether any of us are in a forum or not, 
we can apply that forum mentality or forum approach to be better listeners, to be better leaders, to be lifelong learners. So many things you said are going to continue to stick with me. I love that concept of there can't only be one story. The idea of running towards your triggers and as only you could finding joy in your triggers embracing complexity, having your friends, people you care about, call you out, hold you accountable, make you better, help you see things differently and taking the chance to shine your light. What an amazing conversation, Raymond. Thank you so very, very much for taking the time to share your thoughts with all of us today. And of course, thank you to all of you who took the time to listen and watch this conversation. I appreciate it. And hopefully you took even a fraction of what I took from that conversation because Raymond had so much value to offer in that. Thank you all for being here. Before we go, we want to make sure we thank our sponsors on the way out as well. We have HumanTel. As always, please head over to HumanTel.com and enter the code Inquasive25 for 25% off all of their online training to learn how to identify what people are likely feeling and when their emotions are changing based on their facial expressions and body language, and then using that intelligence in order to develop better rapport, show more empathy, and build better connections. Head over to certifiedinterviewer.com for the International Association of Interviewers. That's where you can learn more about the member benefits and educational opportunities for joining the association. And that's also where you can see if you qualify for the Certified Forensic Interviewer Designation Program, and what it takes to pass and maintain the designation if it's right for you and your career at this point. And Inquasive, please head over to Inquasive.com to check out more detail on all of the courses that we offer for our clients when they ask us to customize educational sessions to teach their leadership, their sales team, their HR team, and more. The observation skills, the questioning skills, the persuasive communication skills necessary to encourage people to share sensitive information under vulnerable circumstances and in the face of consequences how to use the truth to their advantage. If you love these conversations on communication, you'd like to know more about the Discipline Listening Method, you can pick up a copy of the book, The Discipline Listening Method, at Amazon and at Barnes & Noble. Once again, thank you so much for watching another episode. We truly appreciate it. Please take an extra second, like the show, subscribe to the show, share your feedback with us, please. Share the show with your friends. We truly appreciate you being here. Stay safe, take care of each other, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. 